The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Well, good morning, church family. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go to 1 Peter chapter number 5 today for our text reading. 1 Peter chapter number 5. We are currently in a series this fall entitled Blue Collar Gospel. Uh, Good news for ordinary people. And, And throughout this series, we are really diving into how the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how it impacts our lives even beyond justification and salvation. And we're talking a little bit on how this good news transforms our lives in a holistic way. Not not just in our behavior, but how does it first transform our beliefs? How does it transform our identity? How does it transform our actions? And, And I hope that as we dive into our text today, that God will use it to transform our hearts, transform our values, our motivations in a way that only he can do. Before we get into this, uh, a few years ago I saw a full page ad in a magazine and I want to kind of try to describe it for you. There, there was a depiction of a Roman gladiator back 2,000 years ago and, and he's in this coliseum and there's this lion coming at him. Somehow he had dropped his sword and fallen to the ground and in that moment the enraged lion seeing his opportunity is, is literally in mid-lunge, jaws wide open. Uh, around the stands in the Colosseum, all the crowd, they're up on their feet. They're watching as the panic-stricken gladiator tries to flee for his life. Underneath this ad was the caption, sometimes you can afford to come in second. Sometimes you can't. (laughs) And And what we're going to seek to unpack a little bit today is a area that I really believe with all of my heart is is not an area uh, that we can afford to come in second. And so before we dive into our Bible study, on the way in, you, you should have received one of our campaign guides. And in this campaign guides, there are several things that we have. We have uh, sermon notes for the Bible study that we're doing here even this morning. Uh, there are also um, talking points for our connection group Bible study conversations. All throughout the week, we have Bible studies for different age groups all around our city. And uh, there are the talking points of, of some of what we're going to be having conversations about in those Bible studies uh, throughout the week. And so that's also in there. Um, there are also devotionals that you can use each and every day of the week to help you go deeper into some of the things that we're talking about even in this message. And so I hope that you'll be able to use this. And, and if nothing else, I hope you'll just use uh, the Bible study outline as we work through our text here even this morning. If you are visiting with us inside, there is a connection card. I want to just encourage you to fill that out. We'd love to have a record of your attendance uh, as well as be able to get you a little bit more information about our church family and some of the things that we have going on here uh, as a ministry. So I hope that'll be a help to you. Uh, For those of you who are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text. First Peter chapter number five. We'll read verse number eight and then we'll dive into our study here this morning. The scriptures say in 1 Peter chapter number 5 and verse number 8, to be sober and to be vigilant because our adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I want to speak on this subject today of good news for people who struggle with addiction. Good news for people who struggle with addiction. Shall we have a word of prayer and we'll get into our study this morning. Dear gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, I want to pray for our church family. I want to pray for those outside of our walls that you would give us victory over the bondage of the enemy. In our world, there are so many who have succumbed to the temptation addictions that surround us. And so I pray that you would give liberty and victory to these individuals. Lord, I also pray for those of us in the church who struggle with obsessive behaviors that we would not label addictions, but are wreaking havoc on our lives and on our relationships and even on our bodies. And and because they're socially acceptable, we just 
justify them. And Lord, I pray for those of us that find ourselves in, in that situation, that you would give us victory as well. I pray that you would bind Satan. I pray that you would allow your word to squelch his lies and that we as your people can see ultimate victory in the person of Christ. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. Throughout this particular series, um, we've been looking at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel reveals many things about life. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus shines its light on so many aspects of life. And in this particular series, we're taking a closer look at, at four specific areas that the gospel illuminates or that the gospel helps us to see more clearly. Now, to be honest, the gospel illuminates a whole lot in life. But in this series, we're looking at four specific revelations that the gospel reveals and helps us to understand more profoundly. And, and those four revelations, those four things that it helps us to see more clearly is, is simply this. It helps us to see, one, what sin does to us. And the good news of the gospel really helps us to understand deeply how sin affects us. Because good news always invades bad spaces. And, and there is no such thing as good news if we don't address the bad news that it, it attempts to heal. It attempts to help us overcome. And so sin helps us get a bigger glimpse. Uh, uh, the gospel helps us to get a better glimpse of sin and what it, what it does and how it wrecks our lives. But it doesn't stop there. It keeps going and helps us understand what God does for us in the midst of our sin. How does God meet the person who struggles? And then the third area that we're focusing on is how the gospel reveals what Christ does in us and then ultimately what the Spirit wants to do through us. We have taken these four aspects of things the gospel unveils, that the gospel reveals and, and illuminates to our hearts. And, we, and we're calling these four things a gospel framework that helps you and I to work certain issues and struggles that we have in our daily life. And we're working through these four areas in this gospel framework in a way that we hope will give us holistic transformation. Because when it comes to struggles and when it comes to addiction and when it comes to obsessive behavior, the, the, the truth is that it's very easy for somebody to just give us some little cliche advice. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and you were dealing with something really intense and dealing with something really, really deep and they just gave some trite little advice and like, oh, if you just knew this or if you just did that, it would all be, all be fine. And, and yet we have to recognize and have the humility to understand that there are many things in this world that can't be dealt with very tritely. There aren't simple solutions to. And so this gospel framework gives us a holistic approach to transformation. It doesn't just show us how it informs our behavior, but it helps us uh, inform our beliefs and how we see things, how we view things. It, it informs our soul, our identity. It also informs our behavior to give us a transformation that is holistic in nature. So each week we're looking at some of the gospel and its implications on our spiritual maturity. So here's our theme for this morning as we get ready to get started, and that is simply this. There is no temptation so small that God will ignore, and no addiction so great that his resurrection power can't overcome. And that's the hope of what we're going to look at today. So as we begin to work our way through this gospel framework and this holistic transformation approach, specifically as it pertains to temptation and addiction, the first thing we have to do is we have to start by having the humility to admit what sin does to us in this particular area of our lives. Which brings us to our first thought, if you're taking notes in your guide, I hope you'll follow along, is simply this, addiction keeps us in bondage. Addiction keeps us in bondage. The Gospel of John, chapter number 8, Jesus Christ says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever commits sin is the slave of sin. This terminology speaks of bondage. It speaks of shackles. It speaks of sh chains. It speaks of slavery. 
And so today we're going to spend some time looking at this subject of good news for people who struggle with addiction. So before we really unpack this, I think it would be wise to define addiction. What, what constitutes addiction? Because if you're in church world today, it's very easy to get this mentality that, well, you know, there's people that, you know, live downtown and they're homeless down by the rescue mission. And, and those people struggle. They struggle with addiction. But, you know, I go to church. I, I don't struggle with addiction. That's not, that's not something that, that I have to engage with. So let's define it and unpack it a little bit. According to the dictionary, an addiction is a compulsive need for a habit-forming substance or activity that is characterized by well-defined physiological symptoms upon withdrawal. That is to say, in layman's terms, you find yourself obsessed to do things that when you try to stop doing them have physiological implications that are negative and unhealthy whenever you try to stop. And that's when it crosses over to an addiction. There are many addictions that keep people in bondage, that keep people in slavery. In fact, according to the Medical Health Journal, some of the most common addictions are as follows. Now, as I was reading through this list, I broke them down to two categories. You see, there's a category of addiction that are socially unacceptable. That is, even the unsaved world looks at people who struggle with these types of things, and even people who are not believers, even people who are not saved, they're not Christians, they would look at these types of addictions and they would say, those are the bad ones. You don't want to get there. They are socially unacceptable. But what was interesting to me is some of what will be mentioned by the Medical Health Journal are what I might refer to as socially acceptable addictions. Things that our culture says, eh, they're not that, they're not that bad. I mean, it's not, that's not a big deal. Even though it would follow the same path of kind of textbook definition of addiction and compulsive behavior. And so within the context of the church, I think we have to be humble enough to recognize that even though we're church-going people, and even though we, you know, claim to be believers that it might be that within a group our size, there are many of us who also struggle with very real addictions, very real compulsive behaviors. And don't lead yourself to believe, well, that's just for adults. If you're a teenager in here, we're going to address some things that might even apply to you as well as teenagers or, or, or older children. So what are they? Well, when we talk about socially unacceptable addictions, our mind quickly goes to things like drug abuse, people who are addicted to drugs. Uh, we can easily move to uh, those who are alcoholics, where they allow alcohol to totally just consume them to a degree where they just can't stop themselves from continually going back again and again and again to that drunken state. We could talk about pornography, and how so often we can be drawn toward that. And as you read statistics, this is not an issue that just faces men anymore. It's starting to affect women as well. And so we talk about drugs, we talk about alcohol, we talk about pornography, we can talk about gambling. And how there is this obsessive compulsion toward it. Even in ways that would be highly unhealthy to aspects of our lives. And I think for many of us, we would say, yeah, you know, that's the, that's the realm of addiction. But as we see, those aren't the only types of addictions that exist. There's very real things called work addictions. We, we use the phrase, those workaholics. And by a textbook definition... There literally comes places where people are working not just to provide a healthy, stable you know, environment for their family and kids, but it now has neurological and physiological impact on the way they move through this life. 
where they are willing to lean into that workaholism to a degree that it sabotages their marriage, sabotages their family, sabotages aspects of their future because they're getting this kind of hit, they're getting this high from something that just constantly leaning into work provides them. We could talk about things, and I know we can joke about it, but shopping addiction. Where literally folks are so obsessively compelled to purchase and to buy. Where all of a sudden it's crossed over a need. And now all of a sudden there's this, why are we doing this? We have $100 in our pocket and we can't keep it there for two weeks because there's just this obsessive compulsion to just spend. I don't want to hit too close to home, but food addiction is a very real thing. Food addiction. I know it doesn't get preached on a lot in America, but the reality is this. The Bible still speaks strongly about gluttony. Gluttony. In ways where food negatively is affecting our bodies, negatively affecting our health, negatively affecting us physiologically but we are obsessed to go back again and again and again to those things even though we know ultimately it's destroying our bodies one that's more recent in our culture now and there's tons of research being done on this is in regards to phone addiction phone <laughs> your smartphone Social media addiction among high schoolers and teenagers is running rampant. And many of our kids are suffering the psychological impact of phone and social media addiction. And we can talk a little bit more about that as we move through it. We can talk about things like a, a form of, of caffeine addiction. And I know someone was like, what in the world? We're not, we're not going to talk about caffeine in church, are we? So, Pastor, you start preaching against coffee, I am out of here. <laughs> so this might be a good time to point out, and just let me caveat this for a moment. I'm going to be the first one to say that there are different ramifications for each of these things. Okay? There are different social ramifications. There are different physiological ramifications. There are different psychological ramifications for each of these things. But that is not to say that just because the ramifications are different doesn't mean that one somehow is not an addiction because it doesn't affect us that way as opposed to this one that affects us another way. How, what do these things do to us? I don't think I need to spend a lot of time in a talking to a group like this for us to understand how drug abuse and drug addiction can radically destroy a person's life. I don't think there's too many people who would be like, really? Like, you're telling me that if I get addicted to drugs, that's not going to be good? I don't think in this group, I think most of us are kind of like, okay, I, yeah, I understand. Addiction to drugs is going to lead to some very unhealthy things. Most of us understand and we have people that we have had come in contact with who have struggled with alcohol abuse. And we've seen firsthand what happens when there is an addiction to alcohol that begins to obsessively control someone's life. All of a sudden under the, in, under the influence of drugs, under the influence of alcohol, an individual can't in a healthy way, interact with the people they love most. People who in normal situations wouldn't treat a child or a loved one in, an, in a particular way, all of a sudden under that influence now are saying things and doing things that in a healthy state would not be done. And in the process, beginning to sabotage their own health, sabotage their own mind, sabotage their relationships. We understand that. It doesn't take a whole lot of convincing to help somebody understand, who, somebody who struggles with a pornography addiction and how that begins to corrode the intimacy that they can experience in their life. 
Because now this pornography has so informed the thinking, so informed a mindset where now we can't enter into a healthy, intimate relationship because of the information that has now kind of just informed how we navigate relationships, how we navigate marriage. And it begins to deteriorate our ability to, to um, relate in a healthy manner. The expectations that get created that aren't fulfilled in a healthy manner. And we see how it sabotages relationships, gambling. When all of a sudden it crosses over into an addiction. And we see where people are now gambling with finances that are supposed to be used for paying their bills and being generous. But there's this obsession with it. To the degree where they're using credit to continue to gamble. An obsessive compulsive need for a habit-forming activity that's characterized by well-defined physiological symptoms when withdrawal happens. And all of a sudden, when we stop doing these things, we stop gambling, we stop with the alcohol, we stop with the drugs, we stop with the pornography, and all of a sudden, there's these symptoms that are very well-defined physiologically begin to just seep into the life through these withdrawals. But do you understand that in a very real way, Some of these socially acceptable addictions wreak havoc on our lives too. A person who struggles with a shopping addiction. You go to their closet and they have more than enough clothes to keep them warm in the winter. More than enough shoes to put on their feet. And yet in this obsessive compulsive way, they're literally buying more to to a point where literally they're spending money they don't even have. Putting things on credit card for things they don't even need. That's a mark that now all of a sudden maybe this thing is is crossing over to an obsession. Now, I just want to say this. I am not here to tell people in this room for you what is an obsession, what has become an addiction. But I am saying this, I do think we need to have the humility and we need to be surrendered to say to ourselves, maybe I have a struggle that I'm not even aware of. I think we have to be humble enough to admit that and say, Holy Spirit, if there's something you're trying to show me, I want to be open enough to receive what it is that might be causing an unhealthy interaction in my life, relationally, psychologically, physically, that I'm covering up with some obsessive, compulsive behavior, whether it be work addiction, whether it be shopping addiction, whether it be a food addiction. Honestly, I, I would have never thought that I, I struggled with, a, with maybe like food or sugar addiction until uh, a few years back I decided to go on a sugar detox Then all of a sudden I was like, man, wait a second, you're going through just real physiological withdrawals just over sugar. Now obviously it might not have the social impact that cocaine has. But to try to say that it's it's not an addiction at all might not fit the textbook definition of it. We could talk about for a moment phone and, and social media. I was joking in the first service, there's a new term that's come out to describe some of the expressions of phone addiction. One of the things that come out of this is something that people are now referring to as fubbing. Okay? You say, what is that? You ever been in a situation and you're trying to have a conversation, maybe you're at a dinner table and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden you just notice where another person is on their phone and they're just scrolling through their social media feed and it's almost as if they didn't even notice that they were having a conversation and they're just, there's like this composure, they just, they start scrolling, they're just oblivious to what's going on around them. It's like they're snubbing you with their phone, (laughs) fubbing. (laughs) You, You can read now about the psychological impact that phones are having on our youth. Some studies even begin to indicate that what's happening psychologically in the brain of a junior higher or a teenager in their phone addiction has some similarities to what drug abuse is doing in addicts. You're just trying to, you're trying to scare us. I, and I, are you saying we're supposed to throw away our phones? No, I'm not saying throw away your phones. I'm just saying 
there are healthy and unhealthy ways to interact with much of this. Pastor, are you saying if I have a food addiction, I need to stop eating? No. <laughs> I'm not saying stop eating. I'm saying we need to have a healthy posture of the heart toward eating. And, and so I can't stand up here and say, okay, you right here and you right there, you guys, this addiction, and those over here, this addiction. But I want us to be in a state where we can allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. You say, how in the world would caffeine, how, how in the world, what do you mean addiction? I mean, everybody here, all, half of us had a cup of coffee this morning. How, how, does, how does caffeine fall into a realm of addiction? If you get to a place where you're physiologically so stressed out, you have no energy, you're, you've got, you're experiencing what some doctors might refer to as adrenal fatigue because your adrenal glands have been totally just bankrupt, you literally have no natural energy in and of yourself, and so you mask it with caffeine from soda and caffeine from coffee, and now your whole, you're just, while your body is literally destroying itself from the inside out, and you're masking it with caffeine. That might be an area in which caffeine is now covering up some unhealthy things happening in our bodies. Your body's trying to tell you, trying to get your attention. There's something wrong. There's something that needs to be addressed. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost trying to help us understand there's something, there's something wrong going on. So we just, we just cover it up. We just mask it. More coffee, more caffeine, and just try to cover up the symptoms rather than allowing the real you know, issues to be addressed. In that case, there might be a caffeine addiction. Okay, why do you say that? I'm just saying some of this because you, you preach a message like this and you're like, I'm not a drug addict and so I'm going to check out. So hopefully by this point, there might be somebody here and you're just going to be, you're going to be a little bit more open to the fact that there might be a work addiction. That there might be some form of, and here's a theological word, word we use, idolatry where you are looking for something in this world, something in this world of form, something in the physical realm, to give you what God says in the spiritual realm is already yours in Christ. That's idolatry. And idolatry is at the root of every addiction. And whether or not you struggle with one of the things that I've mentioned on this list or one of the things that the medical health journal says, hey, are rampant in our society, or whether it's a form of idolatry where you look to something, you know, horizontally to give you what God says I've already provided vertically in the spirit, we might want to look more carefully into those areas. 2 Timothy chapter number 2 verse 26 says this, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Notice this, who are taken captive by him at his will. The scriptures refer to the fact that there is a way in which the enemy tries to ensnare individuals, tries to take their minds captive, tries to take their relationships captive tries to take their bodies captive to where they are no longer able to control or keep in a healthy posture, a healthy position. And doing so knowingly. John 10.10 10 says this, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. This is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to use this list of drugs and alcohol, pornography, gambling, all these types of addictions, whether it's addictions around finances like shopping or gambling or social media. And I'm not saying that, you know, necessarily food or a phone is supposed to be just, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. But I am saying we need to have a healthy interaction with those things. And in our culture of obsession, it's very easy for many of us not to have a balanced interaction with things. And we tend to get obsessed with things that ultimately begin to hurt us and we don't even realize it. You say, how does the enemy do this? How does he keep us enslaved? How does he keep us ensnared? The Bible says... That the enemy, Satan, he is the father of lies. And here is how the enemy enslaves and ensnares 
individuals through his lies. He convinces you to believe something that is not true or not believe something that is true according to God's standard. And in doing so, he plants the seeds of obsessive addiction. He plants the seeds of you no longer need God, his word, his will, because it's not enough. You need something else, too. And so you run after it in a way that hurts other realms of your life. You run after it in such an obsessive way that now it hurts your body. You run after it in such an obsessive way, it now hurts your marriage. You're running after it in such an obsessive way that it now hurts your finances. And so even though you know it's corroding and destroying major aspects of your life, there is still this obsessive compulsion to run after it. What addiction ultimately does, through its bondage, through its enslavery, it gives us and stamps with on, with, upon us the identity of a victim. People who have struggled with intense addictions get to a place where they begin to feel like, I can't get victory over this. This is, a, this is just who I am. I'm just an addict. I can't stop. And all of a sudden, before they know it, victim becomes their predominant identity. I want to say to you, based on the authority of the word of God, you were not created to live a defeated, guilty, condemned, or unworthy existence. You were created to live victoriously in Christ. You were created to live victoriously. So when we talk about what sin does to us, what we're doing is we're trying to come to a place in our heart, in the posture of our life, where we just own it. We, we stop making excuses. We stop blaming other people. We just come to a place where, we, where we're humble and surrendered enough to say, I got to take responsibility for this. I got to just own this. Which leads us to the second part, not just what sin does to us. What does sin do to us? It, it eventually keeps us, this addiction keeps us in bondage once it gets to an addictive state keeps us in bondage. That's what sin does to us. But as we move through our gospel framework, what does God do for us in the midst of temptation? What does God do for us in the midst of addiction? According to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 21, literally God the Father sends his son to this earth to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Notice what it says, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God makes Jesus to be sin for us. This is huge. How does God meet us in this addiction? How does God meet us in this temptation? How does God meet us in this sin? Does he wait for us to succumb to temptation again so he can be like, ah, got you, boom, hit you with a bolt of lightning. <laughs> Finally. This is how God meets the person who's racked by addiction and enslaved by sin. No, he sent Jesus to be your sin for you. Notice this, who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Literally, God, through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, made Jesus to be your weakness. He made Jesus to be your temptation. He makes Jesus to be your compulsive behavior. He makes Jesus to be your addiction. He makes Jesus to be your sin so that in its place, he could implant within you the perfected, imputed righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what he does it's the grand exchange this is how God meets people who are enslaved and in bondage to their sin and to their addiction he gives you Jesus and then poured upon Jesus all the wrath and eternal punishment that your obsessive addiction deserves and put it on Jesus so that he could now pour out his compassion, his love, 
his righteousness and his holiness upon one who in themselves don't deserve it. And this is how God meets us in this moment. To those who are in Christ, we have Christ's imputed righteousness placed upon our account. You see, moving through this gospel framework is not a trite little cliche of a tidbit of wisdom to help us overcome our sin. It's a holistic approach. You see, what God does for us gives us a new belief. What is this new belief? This new belief is that God's truth sets us free. You see, as we continue moving through the gospel framework, specifically as it pertains to temptation and addiction, we must understand that what God does for us in this particular issue, what does God do for us? God's truth sets us free. Satan's lives ensnare. The enemy's illusions put us in bondage. And God's truth are the seeds that set us free. John chapter number 8, verse 32 says this, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is where it starts, the truth. James Garfield says this, <laughs> it was interesting, he said, The truth will set you free, but first it'll probably make you miserable. There's a lot of truth to that. It's not always fun when somebody comes to speak truth and love into our situations. Especially when there's a compulsion to it. Especially when, when, the, when there's withdrawals that happen when we don't get to experience it. But 1 Corinthians first, chapter 10, verse 13 gives us this promise. God says, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. That, that means what, what, some of what you're facing and, and what you go through... Other, other people, you're not in this alone. I know, you, I know one of the tactics of the enemy is to make you feel like you're all alone and, and nobody understands and nobody can help. But I'm, I'm here to say you're not alone in this. There are people who love you. There are people who are for you. There are people who will be with you. This, this thing is not uncommon. But notice this. But God is faithful. Even when you are not faithful to God, God is always faithful to you. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. The hope of the good news is that there is always a way of escape in the midst of temptation. What did sin do to us? Addiction, this addiction keeps us in bondage. What does God do for us? God's truth sets us free. That's the new belief that we have to hold to. But as we continue to work through this gospel framework, specifically as it pertains to temptation and addiction, third, we shouldn't forget what Christ does in us. This is big. You see, it's not just that God does something for us. That's a huge part of how holistic transformation takes place. But it's more than just God in heaven giving you this kind of pep talk like you can do it. It's, it's more than that. Holistic transformation is not just God looking down like cheering you on while you try to muscle your way to doing things that you, you know you're probably going to fail out eventually anyways. No. You see, what God does is it's not just that he does something for you, but Christ literally does something in you. You say, what does he do? He changes you from the inside out, and he gives us, he, he removes from us the identity of a victim and replaces it with the identity of a victor. So you see, God for us gives us a new belief. But Christ in us gives us a new identity. And so I say today, you are no longer a victim in Christ. You are now at your core and at your essence, you are a victor in Jesus. You are no longer in Christ a sinner. But you are one with the power inside of you to overcome sin. 
Because this gospel framework, yes, gives you a new set of beliefs, but it also provides you with the hope of a new identity in Christ. The Bible tells us that, oh, we were given a new creation. We are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You see, if you try to see transformation, you try to see victory in your life, while you continue to believe that you're a sinner, you continue to believe you're a victim, you continue to believe you're an addict, guess what? It won't be long till your behavior continues to follow the posture of your identity. And so Christ does something more than just give us a heavenly pep talk. He gives us a new nature. A nature with power and grace and strength. John chapter number 8 verse 36 says this. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you are free indeed. Now, this can be hard to believe when you are being wrecked by the consequences of addiction. This verse is hard to believe when everything you see around you and everything in your circumstances and everything in your situation tells you you're an addict and you're a victim and there's no hope. But I'm here to say that those of us who are in Christ have new identities. And we are no longer sinners, but we are saints with resurrection power pulsating through our veins. We are not just given new sets of beliefs. We are given a new identity. You are not who you used to be if you were in Christ. You're not the same. Now, if you're going to let what you see around you and what your friends tell you and what your past tells you to inform your identity, then yes, that's what you will believe. Or you can allow the truth of God's word to inform your identity and you can hold fast to what God says is actually true about you in Christ. And that is, you are a new creation. And then, by God's grace, you can begin to live out of that new position. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 tells us thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. You say, I don't feel like that. I don't feel like I always triumph in Christ. I feel like I fail and I fail and I fail and I fail. But I want to say in Christ, you have everything you need for ultimate victory over anything that the enemy throws at you. Because it's in Christ, we are no longer victims. It's no longer our identity. In Christ, at our core, at our essence, we are victors. And by grace, by God's grace and through faith, we can begin to express the reality of that identity by daily obedience to him. For what God does for us gives us new beliefs. What Christ does in us gives us a new identity. Let's keep moving. What, is, what, is, what does Christ do in us? He gives us new identity. Fourthly, as we conclude our reflections on overcoming temptation and addiction. Notice what the Spirit promises to do through us. Through the Spirit, we can overcome any temptation. Through the Spirit. In the flesh... Who knows? In the flesh, some days you'll have the strength to overcome, other days you won't. In the flesh, sometimes you'll be able to do what's right, other days you won't. Some days you'll be able to make healthy decisions, sometimes you won't. But in the Spirit, through Christ, we can always overcome temptation. So we see, see what God does for us gives us a new belief. What Christ is in us, he gives us a new identity. And what the Spirit does through us is he gives us a new set of behaviors. See how this is holistic? doesn't just deal with one dimension of our being. It deals with all the dimensions of our being. It deals with our thoughts. It deals with our soul, our identity. It deals with our behavior. Matthew chapter number 26, verse 41 says, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Why? The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Galatians 5, 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Uh, one theologian defined repentance like this, and I thought it was a good way to think about it in context to the lies of Satan. He said, repentance is the act of exchanging the lies that hold us captive 
for the truths that set us free. It's a change of mind. So what does the Spirit do through us? You see, I don't know if this will make sense, but hopefully you'll be able to follow the, the pattern of logic. At the core of every sin we ever commit, all of us, it's actually an act of unbelief. You say, how? Explain that. Because any time you and I succumb to temptation, what's actually happening is we are failing to believe in that moment that everything we need, we already have in Christ. We're failing to believe that Christ is enough. And since we fail to believe that Christ is enough, we have to run towards something else, even knowing that it's going to produce some unhealthy ramifications. We continue to run to it because we've convinced ourselves we need it for satisfaction and contentment and life. And so at the very core of every temptation and every addiction and every obsessive behavior at its core is an unbelief that Jesus is enough which causes us to crave and run after things that ultimately destroys our relationship and ultimately destroys our health and ultimately destroys our thinking and ultimately destroys so many aspects of our lives. And we continue to lean into those things. Why? Because we feel like we need them for life, for satisfaction, for contentment. So what ascended to us the sin of addiction keeps us in bondage. What does God do for us? He gives us a new set of beliefs that God's truth sets us free. What does Christ do in us? He gives us a new identity, the identity that in Christ we are actually victors regardless of what everything around us is trying to shout in our face. And what does the Spirit do through us? The Spirit through us allows us to overcome temptation again and again, not through our power, not through our strength, but through the resurrection powers. We simply yield in humility and allow His grace to do through us what we couldn't do through ourselves. Why? And we appropriate that just by faith, not through strength, not through willpower, but through surrender. So let's conclude today. And let's just get real practical. In these three areas, let me give you three takeaways. Put the cookies on the bottom shelf. And I, I want to just talk about replacement as we conclude. I'm going to give you three takeaways that I hope will, will be a help. Because in each of these three realms that we talked about, God did for us, Christ did, and the Spirit did through us, there are some replacement that needs to be done. Number one, when it comes to the new beliefs, we need to replace Satan's lies with God's truth. So ask the Spirit of God to illuminate to your heart what lies are holding you captive. What is it? What is the lie? Why do you work so much even though it's, just, it's hurting your relationship with your kids? It's keeping you from having the relationship God would have you to have with your marriage, in your marriage. It's destroying your health. And why is there this obsession to continue leaning into that? Ask yourself if that's it. What's the lie that you're holding? Is the lie you're holding on to is that my, you know, this, this job that I'm starting, that's ultimately what's going to give me hope. Or the money that I make from it, that's what's ultimately going to make me feel safe and secure. What's the lie? Because that's a lie. The reality is God's what makes you feel safe and secure. God is what gives you a sense of sufficiency. Well, I, I need what, you know, I, 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 I need this to be able to buy this and pay off this and do this. and th I, I have to do that. I have to have this. I have to do those things. Do you, is that, do you actually have to have those things that you think you have to have? Or is that a lie? Well, I won't be able to be satisfied. I, I won't be able to be at peace. I, I won't be able to, to feel content if I don't get to buy those things and I'm not able to go to those places. Then I can't, I can't have life. Is that a lie? See, if we're going to overcome obsessive behavior, even in good realms of our life, good things taken to an extreme is what becomes addictions. Replace Satan's lie with God's truth. Number two, on a soul level... Replace your old identity of victim with your new identity of victor. If you're going to do something different, you have to believe that you are something different in Christ. 
But as long as you believe that you are weak and as long as you believe that there's nothing in you that can get you through this, then you're continue to live in a way as if that were true. But the reality is you have something in you. You have the power of Christ in you. You are a new creature. And so you have to replace that old identity with the new identity of Victor. What about in the physical realm? You have to replace the unhealthy addiction with healthier habits. You say, well, let me explain this for a moment. If all you do is remove Satan's lies but do not replace it with God's truth, you're going to create a vacuum of the soul where the lies can come back. If all you do is replace your old identity of victim, if you just remove that but don't replace it with God's new identity, then all you're going to do is create, an, you're going to create a vacuum in your soul where other bad identities can fill it in. And this is why in a lot of cases people get over one addiction and all they do is replace it with another addiction. Because they're removing something bad but they're not replacing it with God's word. They create a vacuum and that vacuum sucks in something else that's unhealthy. And so people jump from idolatry to idolatry, from obsessive habit to obsessive habit, to addiction to addiction. Why? Because though they're removing one thing, they're not replacing it with what God says. Third, you can remove an unhealthy addiction, but you've got to replace that. There's going to be a vacuum that gets created in your physical being if it doesn't get replaced with a healthy habit. And wisdom would tell us whatever it is that we're trying to remove, by God's grace, we need to replace that with something healthy. So what is it? What is it that God wants to do in our hearts? And what does God want to do in our lives when it comes to this thing? Why? Why is God wanting to do this? Is God trying to make your life miserable? No. God wants you to have life and life more abundantly. And so God loves you so much that he is willing to allow you to go through seasons of pain. To get to a healthier place. A place that's healthier for your relationships. A place that's healthier for your mind. A place that's healthier for your body. A place that's healthier for your family. Because he loves you. You see, there's no temptation so small that God will ignore and no addiction so great that his resurrection power can't overcome. Let's claim that promise by faith. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.